Well, over the next uh, four weeks, we're going to be looking at this uh, Advent season, these themes of Advent, hope and peace and joy and love, or hope and peace and, yeah, joy and love. Uh, the Christian church historically has used these uh, four weeks uh, preceding Christmas to, um, to intentionally help themselves meditate on or think on uh, the eternal promises that we have in the Lord, these realities that are true. They've been true for, for God's old covenant people, and they're true uh, for us today, right? Uh, in history, these, these, um, these traditions, if you will, maybe you grew up uh, in, a, in a church tradition uh, that is, was more liturgical, meaning more, uh, more directed or consistent or uh, the same year to year with different traditions. You might have followed a, 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 a lectionary, you know, more specifically from year to year. That may be familiar to some of you. Some of, some of you may have grown up in the, in the free church tradition, uh, which uh, does not follow those sorts of patterns, aside from maybe, you know, Advent and Easter and things like that. So wherever you are in there, there, there are times where it's really helpful for us to, to sort of latch on to things that have been helpful for the church, for our Christian brothers and sisters uh, throughout history that we can use today to help us look to and remember and meditate on who God is and his promises to his people. So the Advent wreath uh, is made of evergreens and represents the continuity of life uh, from season to season. It represents the newness of eternal life and salvation that's promised through uh, the righteous, meaning perfect life of Jesus and his sacrificial death on the cross. If you think about the circular fashion that it's woven in, it, 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 it symbolizes much like our wedding rings that we wear, um, that, that, that God's unending eternality, meaning uh, we often think about eternal meaning from here forward forever. Uh, what it actually means is it's eternally past and eternally future, meaning God has no beginning. He has no end. And a circle, when you look at it, has no beginning and it has no end. So God's unending eternal love and his faithful commitment, his commitment to his own glory and to the promises he makes to his people. You'll see here there are three purple candles and uh, a pink candle and then a white candle. The three, uh, the four candles, the, the, the three pink and the one, uh, sorry, the three purple and the one pink, each just represent a different aspect and different churches at different times will focus on different, different things. Some will focus on the names of God. Some will fo focus on, uh, on a variety of things. Uh, we're going to be focusing on hope and peace and joy and love. The joy, you might find it interesting to see that pink candle in that third place. It's not at the beginning. It's not at the end. Typically, Advent begins in this time of darkness and mourning and confusion and bleakness. And we begin that with these purple candles. And then we see this third pink candle, which represents joy in the midst of bleakness, joy in the midst of sorrow, joy in the midst of pain. And then, of course, during our Christmas Eve service, we will, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, right, Emmanuel, which means God with us, we'll light the, the white Christ candle. And everything that represents the character of Christ uh, is, or the character of the Lord, this, this hope find its culmination in Jesus. Peace is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Joy is found in Christ alone. And love is given uh, comes to us from the Lord and enables us to love others as well. So uh, th there's a historical um, 
uh, intentionality to what we are able to do. Uh, sometimes families would do this even in their own homes. Uh, there have been other traditions where they would uh, take, take an Advent wreath like this and, and just light 25 candles and just do one candle for each day of the month uh, leading up to Christmas. So there are different ways to do it. There's not one set right way that a family would have to do this or that a church would have to do this. Uh, the, the, the point is that we want to ask ourselves, what can we do? How can we be intentional in reminding ourselves or our children or our grandchildren or even just as a couple? Often when we say the word family, we think young families with children should be doing this. But really, every Christian family, husband and wife together, uh, whether you're younger or older, uh, ought to find ways to help remind yourself Uh, to cling to the promises of the Lord, to think on his character, and what he's doing in our lives and in redemption history. This morning, we're looking at a a word from the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, It's a word of hope, and so you can flick there in your app if you want to, or it's on page 620 of a Bible uh, near you, one of the black Bibles there. And if you don't know where Jeremiah is, it's typically about two-thirds or three-quarters of the way back in your Bible, or with no shame, just go to the table of contents and look up Jeremiah uh, in the Old Testament. So no shame there. So what brings you hope? As you think about your day, your life, what, what's coming up in the, in the near or even distant future, I'm curious, what are the things you get excited about? What are the things that you uh, long for? Uh, we were in uh, Oklahoma this week for Thanksgiving. My sister and her family live down there. And so we uh, had the opportunity to go down there and spend Thanksgiving with her, which is wonderful. And, um, and then late last night, we were hoping for home, All right? I mean, we travel with two children, and uh, so there, the stops were many, and my wife might even say that I like the stops as much as the boys do. May or may not be true, but at any rate, it takes us significantly longer to drive home than it does my sister. She's like a road trip professional, so, but anyway, we were hoping for home. We knew our home was there, and we were asking the Lord to get us there, and we were plodding along steadily and uh, uh, yeah, faithfully a little bit at a time. Students, you might be hopeful for Christmas break coming up, right? You're just counting down the days until you get your Christmas break. Others of you are, are beginning to see, maybe now, maybe in the next couple of weeks more, presents that are beginning to pile up under the tree. And, uh, and you're looking at them and you're wondering if you've learned any, uh, a tr- if you're a younger sibling, maybe learn some tricks from your older siblings on how to uh, well, we'll just keep moving on. But um, some of you can't wait, right? You don't know how to wait, and so you want to get a little sneak peek or whatever. But don't do that. Don't do that. You'll ruin what's coming. Um, some of you may be hopeful to see your family, just expectantly waiting to see your family. Farmers are, are maybe looking for a break and ready for some uh, some rest uh, now that the, the he- heavy busy season is uh, over or, or at least waning, uh, you know, in some way. So, Uh, You might find yourself on the other side of the spectrum. You might find yourself uh, feeling or believing that there is no hope. I mean, you hear messages that say there really truly is hope, but you may wrestle to believe that that's true. You may wrestle to find your emotions agreeing with what others tell you should be true or that you know is true, but you're just having a hard time Hard time getting there emotionally. Wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, God has a word for each of us, right? Um, Jeremiah was the name of uh, 
uh, the son of a priest named Hilkiah. Now, if you've heard that name before, and there's going to be a little bit of history along the way here, but I'm going to try not to delve into it too much uh, as our time is limited. But, but he was the, the son of uh, Hilkiah, which is not the high priest who discovered the book of the law. But he grew up in a small village, uh, Anatah, which was about three miles northeast of Jerusalem. So that's about the distance from here to, to uh, downtown Shellsburg, right? In, in other words, he lived close enough to know what was going on and far enough to be able to feel free to, uh, to cast in his opinion on what's happening in, in town uh, at any given moment, right? Uh, he, he was a prophet who had a difficult life. Uh, he was called to be a prophet while he was still dependent on his parents. Uh, he still lived with his parents, and he followed the Lord obediently as a prophet. Now, one of the things we're going to notice is that a prophet's life was not an easy life. Sometimes we might think it was easy to just say, hey, the Lord told me to say this, right? Some of you who, who just kind of like to speak freely, right? You just like to tell it how it is. Like, oh yeah, I could totally dig the life of a prophet. Except more came with it than just sharing his opinion. Number one, it wasn't his opinion. It was God's authoritative word to be given to his people in a certain situation. And if you've ever shared the truth with someone... If you've ever shared the truth with someone, you know people don't always like to hear the truth from you. Have you ever noticed that? You say something, you know, you're sure it's true. And no matter how true it is, it just, some people just don't want to receive it. They just don't want to hear it. And this was Jeremiah's context. This was Jeremiah's context. So um, we get the, 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 uh, the sense that as he's writing, right, there are siege ramps that are being built on the wall of Jerusalem. There's impending doom coming. The Lord says, uh, this is not going to end well for you in the immediate future. And so uh, the armies are coming. Um, at the beginning of this chapter, 33.1 and back in 32, they tell us that Zedekiah had basically heard enough bad news, and so he threw him into prison. He just locked him up. He's like, I'm tired of this. I'm going to lock you up. So the worst is still to come for God's people, and everyone can see that this impending doom is coming to the city. Some of his prophecies are, are, had already come true, but there are more coming that are going to be coming true. And so in the middle of these already not good, or you might call them horrible circumstances, the prophet Jeremiah finally has a word filled with hope for his people, for God's people. And that's what he said. David read it, read it for us this morning. When he said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the land of Judah. Now, the days are coming. The days are coming. That's important, the emphasis. The days are surely coming. Rest in it. Be confident about it. Listen, God always keeps his promises. They may seem slow to us. We look longingly for the day that Jesus will come to take his people home. We cannot wait to be able to worship Jesus with all of our heart and soul and mind, but without the troubles of our sickness, without the troubles of our flesh. And we wonder, will Jesus ever come back? When will it happen? Come, Lord Jesus. But then right on the, on the heels of that, we begin to think about people that we know that have yet to come to salvation in Christ. And we, we want to pour out our lives to invest in those around us, to care 
for those around us so that they might hear and believe the gospel of Jesus. And so there's a, there's a tension here. We want to go home now, and yet there are those that we care for that if the Lord came back today, they would spend an eternity in hell. And we don't want that for anyone. And so we, we look longingly for the hope when Jesus will come back for his people, and yet we cling to uh, the, the, the tasks that God has set out for his people to, to be about. The days are coming. They may be slow or seem slow to us, but God will fulfill every promise. So here, God's promise is as good as the day of judgment, or I'm sorry, the good, as good as the day and the night. If you think about what he says down here in verses uh, really 19 and through 22, basically the Lord looks back to creation and says, look what I made. When you go to bed at night, you know as sure as the day is long that the sun is going to rise in the morning. I assume that's not the day that the Lord comes back. But if everything's normal in life, the the sun's going to rise tomorrow, and you're going to get however many days of daylight we get, and then the sun's going to set. As sure as the sun will rise, and as sure as heaven and earth are established, you can expect that God will fulfill His promises. Now, this doesn't mean we can sort of uh, do a grab bag of God's promises that we see in Scripture and randomly claim them for ourselves. This means the promises that we understand that God has made to his people in a particular context, and sometimes that context is applied directly to us. And so we want to be careful about that, but God is faithful and his promises will never be broken. Sometimes when we see darkness and we see difficulty around us, I mean, we've had plenty of that recently. Society's always had plenty of difficulty, plenty of darkness, plenty of storms, whether proverbial or literal. Like Job, we're tempted to question God's purposes. And I wish I had more time to go into this now, but, but, but about two-thirds of the way through Job, he begins to set up and list all of his righteous living. He has a self-righteous attitude, even though He was an incredibly righteous, God-fearing man. He had reached the end of what he felt like he could handle. And he starts telling the Lord, I don't know why you're doing this to me. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And I mean, I literally can't. I started looking at where to put that in my notes this morning. I'm like, I can't stop there. I can't stop there. I can't stop there. So I had to just read a couple chapters to you. And so for time's sake, we won't do that. But here's the Lord's response when, when God challenges him. He says in Job 38, 12, and again, I'm taking one verse. This goes on for chapters. He said, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Now just pause and let's just ask yourself this question. Is there an area in your life where you would question God's decisions? I I do. I'm not standing here saying you should do it the way that I've done it, question God's decisions. What I'm saying is, in all honesty and humility, we question the Lord's decisions in how the Lord rules the universe. And the Lord's response to Job, have you commanded the morning since your days began? That'd be a good question to ask yourself when you're challenging God, right? Lord, I really think, have you commanded the morning? I mean, did you tell the sun to rise, or rather, spin the earth on its orbit so that the sun appears to be rising, if we're going to get technical. Have you done that? 
Yeah, neither have I. And so one of the biggest tragedies of this Babylonian exile, when God's people were were moved from uh, Judah, Jerusalem to Babylonia, was the end of David's dynasty. We've seen uh, many times the promise that God would always uh, have a people from David's lineage to reign on the throne. And for nearly 400 years, descendants of David had, had occupied the throne of Judah, and God had promised that it would always be so. But this people has been devastated by lost, loss, and Jeremiah's prophecy in the midst of this confusion offers hope. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of of Judah. Now, just one chapter earlier, Judah purchases land for, for himself, and he really does it in faith, right? Doesn't it seem ridiculous that if you know a massive storm is coming your way tomorrow, that you would say, I think I'm going to go buy that house or that piece of land that is right in the line of this storm. And what he is saying is that whatever happens, whatever comes our way, the Lord is faithful, and I'm going to invest in hope and in the confident assurance that I have that God is faithful. 32.15 of Jeremiah, the Lord says, I'm sorry, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards again shall be bought in this land. When God makes a promise about the way that we're to live our life, do we say, the Lord said it, I know who God is, and therefore it must be true, and I'm going to bank my life on it. I'm going to bank my decisions on it. I'm going to, I'm going to run my finances accordingly. I'm going to live my relationships accordingly. I'm going to prioritize my relationships accordingly. My job is, is really a venue. It's really a, an opportunity to minister to others. I'm going to live as a child of God in my workplace for God's glory Because I know that that's why God has called me to live. He's not called me to set up a little kingdom here. He's called me to invest in his eternal kingdom. And so after this, it seemed like everything was in disarray, right? The the Babylonians, they destroyed David's city. They burned Solomon's temple. They took David's heirs into exile. And the promise of God seemed to have come to an end. And so passages like this were interpreted to be speaking about the coming of an ideal ruler. You even see passages in the early New Testament where Jesus' followers thought, oh, this is the one who's come to set up an earthly eternal kingdom right here and now. And Jesus says, I'm not about building this kingdom right here and now. I'm about coming to redeem a people. God's righteous branch is Jesus, our Messiah. In the days, in those days, and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely, and this is the name by which it is called the Lord is our righteousness. And so a righteous branch will spring up. There's a, there's a word of, of hope here, but not, it's not a naive hope. There's a word of hope that's banked on the character of God, on the reality that God has fulfilled promises in the past, and he will in the future. As we are in this in-between, we're in an already not yet season, and we are reading an Old Testament passage where God's people were living in darkness and doom and gloom, We look not to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in his birth, because we know that that's already happened. 
we look back and recognize what God has already done as we look forward, uh, yeah, forward to, to the future reality that Jesus will come for his people. Jeremiah is not looking through rose-colored glasses, and we shouldn't be either. We want to look through biblical lenses. Remember, as Judah's, or Jeremiah is, is, is writing about this, he is in prison. He's imprisoned at this point because he kept prophesying about the doom and gloom that would be coming. So here he speaks about the restoration of the line of David. A righteous branch or a righteous uh, shoot will sprout from the line of David. Isaiah says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, uh, and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. Now, uh, now a, a shoot is not what comes off of a regular branch that we would see. It's what comes out of the stump, right? Sometimes you'll see a shoot growing right, right near the ground, and it's coming off from there. Sometimes if a stump has been sitting there for a while, it may even come up uh, toward, the, toward the middle or, or the outside of, of a stump. But really, often it comes right off the side. And, um, and, and so what he's saying is, I am going to make this happen. He echoes Jeremiah 23, 5, Behold, the days are coming. It's, in fact, it's very, very, very similar. De- declares the Lord, When I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as a king, and he will deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. In other words, a a God-appointed descendant of David is to be the mediator of justice and righteousness and salvation. We're reminded here that the Lord is our righteousness. There is no man that will be righteousness for us save Jesus Christ. But here, the term, the Lord our righteousness, or the Lord is our righteousness, is applied to the city. The city receives the name and assumes the identity of its mediator. This descendant of David will execute justice and and righteousness in the land, is the one who came 400 years after the silence of the Old Testament was concluded. Or or rather, I should say, after the Old Testament was concluded, there was 400 years of silence. And then Jesus breaks on the scene as God gives, God begets his son. While Israel waited for a Messiah, we have seen Jesus Christ who executed justice on the cross. I want to turn, I'm not going to have this passage on the screen, but I want to, I'm going to turn to Romans chapter 3. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there, you can. Romans 3, 21, uh, the beginning of, of Romans chapter 3. It has a passage in Romans that we, we all know quite well. In Romans 3, 9 Paul asks the question, what then? Are, are, are Jews any better off? Well, no, not all, for we all have been ready. We have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they become wor- worthless. No one does good, not even one. And the passage go on to just explain the depravity of mankind. And I want you to see Uh, what God does in his kind and patient endurance. Verse 21, but now in, 
I'm saying that as though I'm reading it, so I want to clarify. Well, let me just read it. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God, that through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, which is not a word we use every day. In other words, God became the sacrifice, the sin sacrifice that all of God's wrath, wrath towards sin was poured upon, right? Think about this as a minute for a parent. Sometimes sometimes as a parent or sometimes uh, in the community or, or in a family or, or even in church sometimes, somebody offends us and we get really, really angry about it as we're offended. Our sense of what is right and wrong is offended. Our sense of justice has been offended. And for all of us now, we're all wired a little bit differently, but, 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 but there's some level of like wrath that we want to pour out on people, right? It, it may come in a, in a slow and steady burn. It may be inside. You may not let it out, but it's there at some level. Now, some of you don't try to keep it in. You just like let it out and that wrath comes out. In that same sense, God is right He's righteously, which means perfectly good, in his anger towards sin, because he's holy. And so if God were not to pour out his anger on sin, he would cease to be God. He would cease to be holy. But he cannot. It's not just a decision that he makes, it's who he is. And so what happened is on the cross, Jesus became the recipient of all of God's wrath towards sin. Now, just let that sink in for a minute. Every sin that every one of us in this room has ever committed and will ever commit, God is right to be angry over. And he pours all of that anger out, not on you, but on Jesus, his son. And the benefit of that is received by all those who acknowledge that they cannot work their way to heaven. They cannot live up to the law as Paul talks about more here in Romans chapter 3. Okay, so then he continues, and he says, and are justified by faith as a gift, or by grace as a gift through redemption that is in Jesus Christ, who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now listen to this next two verses, three verses. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. That means all of the Old Testament saints also had sin that required a death penalty. And God, because he is kind, does not just permanently pass over sins. Meaning he doesn't just say, you know what? I really like her. I'm just going to let this one slide. He can't. You know, he tries to be good to people most of the time. I mean, he's pretty, most of the people around him like him. I'm just going to let this one slide. He can't because he's a God who executes righteousness and justice. In his divine patience, he had passed over former sins, meaning Old Testament saints weren't eternally killed there on the spot forever. Because God is patient. God has made a way through faith 
for even Old Testament saints to be saved through faith, not through fulfilling the law, not through fulfilling sacrifices day after day, week after week, year after year. Those sacrifices, those offerings were a a picture of what's to come and has come in Jesus. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, I love this next verse. Then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And as we just saw in Ephesians, that was for Jews, that was for Gentiles. God saves everyone by faith. The law is to show us our need for a Savior. Even as Job went went to the Lord and said, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, and he laid out his list of righteousness, the Lord just said, you're not God. You're not perfect. You're not holy. You're not righteous. The Jewish people in that day looked forward to the Messiah coming. And similarly, and albeit differently, we look forward to the return of Jesus for his people. When, 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 uh, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, in fact, we included it on the email that we sent out about, or part of it, about Diana's passing away this morning. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. One of the saddest things I see that you see at times is when somebody grieves the loss of someone in their family and they know as best as a person can know that they weren't a believer. I've told this story maybe several years ago of a friend I have uh, when I lived back in Maryland in, uh, in the mid-90s. And I worked with him and shared the gospel with him on many occasions. And one day, I just was sure that he was going to come to the Lord. I was sure. I was ready for it. I was almost giddy, in fact. And, and we talked about the gospel again. We went to work, went out to dinner, came back, we were hanging out at my place, and we, I shared the gospel with him again. We talked about it for a long time. And he was ready. And when I mean ready, I'm not kidding you. We were out. There were no seats where we were, but we were out in kind of our green room between the house and, and, uh, and uh, a pool. And, um, and he got on his knees. And we were ready to pray the prayer. I mean, like, you know, we were going to seal the deal to be casual about it, maybe too casual about it. And he, I mean, I'm literally, I'm not, I'm not making this up. You can't make this up. I'm like taking a prayer, I mean, taking a breath to pray for him and to lead him in a prayer. And he goes, wait, 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 I got one question. I was like, do you mean to tell me that my uncle John is in hell?
And this friend of mine esteemed this uncle of his so highly. And this uncle of his was a professed atheist. And he, in that moment, revealed that he esteems the good works and the character of his godless uncle more than being willing or able to see the grace of Jesus. And we spent the next two hours discussing, arguing, fighting, crying, praying. And he walked home that day, an unsaved man, believing in his own righteousness. We talk on the phone every couple of years, and he's still empty, looking for hope, trying to buy hope, trying to earn enough money, trying to be good enough to those around him, but he is empty. By the works of the law, no man, no woman, no boy, no girl will ever come to salvation. Only through the one who executes righteousness and justice. And his name is Jesus Christ. I think if he were to pass away any time that I knew it, I think I would weep in a way that would be felt differently. As Christians, we don't, we don't grieve as those who have no hope when we know another believer has gone to be with the Lord. For since we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we are, I'm sorry, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen in sleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, Concerning the end times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need for anything to be written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is now peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, but they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. As believers who look to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we don't look as those who, who wonder if it will come. We live expectantly, making decisions day in and day out, not perfectly, of course, but striving to live with the reality that my next day, my next year, my next decade is not promised to me. I need to live with the reality that Jesus may come tomorrow. For you are all children of light, children of the day. 
which is another way of saying you are children who live righteously, who, who strive to follow the Lord in faith. Children of the day, we are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and sober. Let us be people who are filled with hope, looking longingly for the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and letting that affect how we live, how we buy, how we relate, how we relax. In everything that we do, let us be a people who are filled with hope. These words like Jeremiah come to us at a time when we're living in a season where there may be great loss. Some, some are always losing their jobs, of course. There's uh, secu- security or, or insecurity from a, from a financial uh, standpoint, maybe. Insecurity of, of home, physiological problems, right? There are drug and alcohol problems. Families are breaking up under all the stress. There's, there's spousal abuse, there's child abuse, there are corrupt governments around the world. Many are hungry, and even with the help of churches and governments, many are still hungry. Of course, Jesus said the poor will always be with you. So that's it's not a surprise, but it's not something that we should take lightly. We could go on and on. There are no invading armies, like armies uh, around our walls like there were in Jeremy's, uh, Jeremy, Jeremiah's day. But now it seems like even our own government is, is often plotting against us in discreet ways. They're underhanded. There are, no, there are no siege ramps on our properties, but not to make too much of it, but to be aware that we don't put our trust in our government. Like Jeremiah, what lands are you buying? knowing that God's word is sure. And if I invest myself, if I invest my life for God's eternal purposes, I will never be disappointed. As we have the privilege of taking communion at this point, this is a good time to reflect. This is a good time to to ask. Am I filled with hope at the coming of our Lord? And do I know with a confident assurance that He will come back? That He will restore His people? And that He will take us into everlasting joy? You may not be sure about that. What I want to encourage you of is is not to fake it if you're not sure. But come, talk with me, Pastor Brian, one of the elders. We'd love nothing more than to to talk through this with you, to maybe help you, lead you to the Lord to search your heart, where you'll find a God who is just, righteous, and eternally kind. We'll have a couple... Uh, folks up front and a couple in the back. And, and as I mentioned last week, we have some gluten-free communion as well uh, if you need that. And so that's there to serve you as well. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for our time together. I thank you, Lord, for, uh, for passages in your word that seem difficult for us to grasp, that are difficult to grasp, um, that convey so much of who you are, the way that you have always dealt with your people, 
righteous, executing justice, beyond fair. In fact, if we were to talk about your fairness, we would just talk about the reality that that we don't deserve salvation. And so you're unfair in your kindness toward us, but ultimately not unfair because you displayed that all on Jesus. Oh Lord, may we long for you, not only for the day that you come, but to live in faith-filled relationship with you now. Help us to worship you now as we remember your death on the cross where you did execute justice. Thank you, Father, for always making a way. And if there's anyone here sitting under the sound of, of my voice and more importantly, your word, that has not repented of their sins and trusted you as their only hope for salvation. Lord, may you work in their heart today. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.